uh, as we jump in, uh, I want to introduce uh, myself a little bit and, and my story. I always think it's so fun that we have this uh, really interesting cultural thing that we do in the church. We invite complete strangers in to teach us stuff. What if they're horrible people and we're stuck with them for the weekend? And so I always like to do just a little bit of intro and kind of tell you a little bit my background and how I got into all this, um, kind of help uh, make some of uh, the sense of all this. So uh, when I was uh, 18 years old, I was a very loud and proud atheist. Uh, I was running my high school. I was the loud mouth. I bet you would have never guessed that, right? And uh, I was uh, just, you know, quite a problem uh, to all of those adults that were trying to keep me in line and in order. Good luck. And... Uh, and I uh, got to the end of my senior year, and the girl that I'd been dating for two years suddenly broke up with me kind of out of the blue. And the Lord was so kind uh, to set all this up because as an atheist who was, you know, well-known in, in my school and all that, I kind of always had everything go my way. I was one of those guys that you kind of like really have, uh, you know, beef with. Everything always lands their way. Like they never get into trouble. They always get by with stuff. That I was that, you know, kind of kid. And I'm in a situation when this girl breaks up with me. It's the first time in, you know, my adolescent life where I couldn't fix the problem. I couldn't manipulate it. I couldn't say enough or talk my way out of it. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't get things back the way that I needed them to be. And it, it did start to cause some, like, unsteadiness in my soul. I, I wasn't uh, at all looking for God, but I was for sure sad for the first time in a good long while. My best friend... Uh, he had just started walking with the Lord. Now, this guy and I, we've been buddies, best buddies, since kindergarten. So he knows me really well. Here we're at the end of our senior year, and we're still best friends. He had just started walking with the Lord just a few months prior, much to my dismay, I might add. And he comes up to me, and he says, just the most, it was the most perfect and horrible statement. He comes up to me. He can tell I'm sad and I'm in a bad spot. And he says, Brad, I know you're so arrogant you won't do this. Which, of course, is the perfect thing to say to an arrogant atheist, right? I know you're so arrogant you won't do this, but if you'd ask God for help, he'd help you. And I said, whatever, you're an idiot. You know what you're talking about? God's not real. But here's the problem. I'm in a real crisis moment. We've been best friends since kindergarten. I know the dude is not going to let this go. I am stuck to have this conversation with him forever until I try his God thing. Okay? So I go home that night with zero desire to encounter God and 100% desire to get my friend off my back. That's the plan. So I'm going to go home and I'm going to pray, whatever that is. And the plan is when nothing happens, I'll go back to school the next day and tell my friend he's an idiot and we can move on. Amen? Okay? All right. So that night I go home and I pray the most ghetto prayer that heaven has ever heard. It went something like this. God, if you're there, whatever, you're not there. I'm talking to the air. You're, this is so dumb. What am I doing? Well, whatever, my friend says that you can help. So if you can help, what am I even doing right now? If you can help, help, bye. And as soon as I say bye, the Holy Spirit falls in my room. And I feel God on me. And I don't know what to do with this as an atheist because I'm like, this does not fit into my theology <laughs> of nothing. Because now there is clearly somebody out there who's responding. And, and I feel the presence of the Lord on me, and I start laughing out loud hysterically, uncontrollably. I am having this holy laughter moment as an atheist. I am the worst atheist I know at this point. 
because I am having a power encounter with God in my bedroom and I'm like, whoa, I'll be, you are alive, you're real. Who knew? God is real, people. And so I wake up that next day with a new lease on life because I recognize God is real. I haven't given myself to Jesus yet. I don't know the gospel, but I am now seeking. I am like, where are you? I'm gonna find you. I go back to school and uh, all my friends that had uh, had church experience, um, mostly were from you know uh, kind of mainstream denominationally evangelical uh, backgrounds and here I'm telling them God came into my bedroom last night and, and I started laughing like a crazy person and then I fell right asleep and God's real and they're like God doesn't do that and I go well maybe your God doesn't but my God showed up in my bedroom last night and so here now the atheist is preaching and, and giving them you know running for their money so anyway uh, they go uh, the church that my best friend had started going to uh, was doing a youth ski trip and those are the best ways ever to uh, con the atheist into giving their life to Jesus. Let's get them out on the slopes and they will give their lives to Jesus. And so uh, I go on this trip and uh, I don't realize the whole youth group's been praying for me for months because I was that kid at the high school, you know? And so here we are this first night, they'd rented out this like little uh, lodge area that was maybe half a mile from our uh, hotel and it was a little meeting room and, and uh, the plan is to do worship time and then a present the gospel, and then we're all going to go back to our uh, hotel. Well, they're singing, and they're, they're, they're doing a worship set, and this, I'm brand new to this stuff. I mean, I've been in church five times, and every time I was, it was, I was trying to cause a problem. I wasn't there to receive anything. And I'm in the first church environment where I'm open, and I find my foot tapping to the music, and they're singing this song, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. He's wearing the shirt right now. And, uh, and they're singing the song, and if I can be honest, it's kind of a lame song. I mean, it, it really, it's kind of, it's kind of a little rinky-dink, but whatever. They're singing the song, and I have this revelation. I'm in everything. And I start praising the Lord with this revelation. I was created to praise God. And I actually think I gave my life to Jesus right then, uh, not maybe fully understanding everything, but they gave a gospel presentation right after that, and as they were kind of like gonna do an altar call or something, I'm on the front row and I'm standing and I've got my hand in the air like, pick me, what do I do? And they're like, well, well, wait a minute, we're gonna pray. Okay, well, let's get to it. Let's get on with it, man, let's do this thing. And they're like, okay, well, repeat after me. I'm like, I pray the prayer and I'm all like, I gave my life to Jesus. Half the room thinks I'm faking it because I was that guy. And like, I'm, you know, it took me a while. I had a lot of crow to eat <laughs> that first year in Christ um, and a lot of stuff to shake off. But uh, that night I gave my life to the Lord. It was so sincere. and. Everybody else is going to take the buses back to the hotel, and I just decide I'm going to walk uh, back to the hotel. Um, you know, so it's a late night, whatever, maybe 10:30 or something. Crisp air, cloudless sky, full moon, and I look up and I just I, I looked at the moon like it was God somehow or something, and I was like, God, I'm going to serve you the rest of the days of my life with all the energy I use to serve myself. And it was the gift of God because no atheist has been saved for 15 minutes is that smart. You know, I mean, like, you can't, I can't take any credit for that prayer, but I did mean it. And from that moment on, I've been his. And I've been about the kingdom business. Let's do the work of Jesus. Well, it wasn't long after that that the Holy Spirit started to speak to me and give me a little bit more about, you know, my future. And, and one of the things that he really began to highlight was that I was going to be a missionary in Africa. And I'm, uh, I'm praying about that and I'm trying to, you know, learn how to hear God's voice and in kind of that interesting spot because I'm at a church that doesn't believe that God speaks. And that was really challenging because God was speaking. And so I kind of thought I was going crazy there for a little minute. Um, but 
I hear the Holy Spirit, I, I can remember uh, this growing feeling in my heart that I was going to be a missionary in Africa. But I can remember the first time I started asking the Lord questions about it. And uh, I don't remember where I was, but I definitely remember how the dialogue went. I said, well, Lord, if I want to be a Af- uh, missionary in Africa, what missions organization do I go with? And I heard the Lord say, you're not going with an organization, you're going by yourself. I said, oh, that seems like a bad answer. I was like, okay, all right, well, um, you know, well, you know, what do I do? How do I get ready? Uh, you know, what do I uh, prepare? You know, and I just hear the Lord say, don't take anything with you. I'll show you what you're going to do when you get there. I'm like, this is a really bad start to a mission journey. You know, I'm like, and, uh, and don't take anything with you. And, and you won't know a soul on the continent until you land. I'm like, this is for sure the worst thing I've ever, I go, I, I'm really excited at this point because I go, you know, I'm trying to learn how to hear God's voice and I've got good news for myself. None of that was God. We'll try again tomorrow. We'll just start all over. We'll ask all the questions again. We'll get different answers. We'll be good to go. I ask the Lord the same questions every day for three years, and I hear the same answers every single day. You're going by yourself. Don't take anything with you. You're not going with a missions organization. You won't know anybody on the continent until you land on the continent, which for me was like, don't even try to figure this out. Just show up. Well, I pray about this for three years. Now, I just want to give some of you guys in the room, and especially the young people, there are things that the Lord wants to do in your life that are for sure God. They're just not yet. And the best way to find yourself in the perfect plan of God is when you start filling those little whispers, whatever you do, don't act. I mean, if it's go talk to that person about Jesus in the grocery store line, act on that. But if it's go to Africa, don't go to Africa. Pray about going to Africa, (laughs) you know? When the Lord starts to speak, there is so much invitation into friendship and into greater level of revelation if you will talk to the Lord about that thing every single day. Every day you will grow in revelation, you'll grow in confidence, or you'll grow in clarity that actually you missed it a little bit. It wasn't so much this way, it was a little bit more this way. You'll grow in that clarity, but only if you continue to dialogue with the Lord. I think so many times the Lord speaks to us and we just stop the conversation there. That's just the beginning. That's the Lord starting a conversation with you. How many times do we bang on the doors of heaven trying to get God to talk to us about what we want to talk about? Well, if God's talking to you, he's willing to talk about that thing. So I want to encourage you as you feel the leading of the Lord, the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. You want to be in the perfect will and perfect timing of the Lord. And the best way I know how to do that is pray about it every single day because clarity and confidence will grow. Well, I do that for three years. And by the end of three years, I am really hard to reckon with uh, because I believe that God has told me I'm going to go to Africa. I don't, I'm going to do missions. It's going to be, you know, to Muslims in Africa, the 1040 window. You know, I've got all of this just really strong in my spirit. And I've also got the most reckless plan of how to get there. Now, I want to give you a little point of encouragement. I'm not sharing this with you because I think you're supposed to go to Africa and die a martyr. I want you to do whatever Jesus wants for you to do. And the truth of the matter is, we don't need to be going after adventure stories. We need to be going after obedience stories. What does the Holy Spirit want? Because you doing that really cool thing that looks cool to you and looks cool to your friends, if it's not God's will, is a complete waste of your life. And you might even find yourself in trouble very much outside of the will of God. But if you'll follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, you'll be in the Word and be tempered by what it says about your character and the way you develop. 
the Lord will get you exactly where you're supposed to go. So, three years in, finally, I hear not you're going, you're going. I hear just this little whisper, it's time to go. And I'll tell you another great benefit about praying about the things that you think that the Lord's speaking to you, praying about it every single day, it will sound like a sonic boom when the Lord whispers something slightly different. Because you've been hearing, wait, not yet, not yet, go. Oh my gosh, that sounds so different. (laughs) I've been hearing not yet, wait, for all this time, and now just a little whisper of go. It's so clear in your spirit. The Lord desires relationship with us. He wants us to grow in that. And so I just want to exhort you as you're making your plans about your life, ask him what he wants. Go with him and follow his timing. So (laughs) I get to this point. I know it's time. Uh, Some friends had donated some airline miles, and so I was able to get a couple of tickets paid for. Uh, The Lord did some wild supernatural stuff to get the rest of the flights because it was a four-flight ordeal to get over where I was going. And where I picked, I just picked the most Muslim country in Africa that I could get into pretty easily with my visa situation. It was the nation of Mali. Mali at the time was 99.9% Muslim. That's pretty darn Muslim if you ask me. And so I thought, I am right where I'm supposed to be. And the Lord gave me enough little breadcrumbs to know that that's where I was supposed to be. And I had a backpack with an extra pair of clothes in it, my Bible, and a stick of deodorant. I did sneak the deodorant in there. I thought, you know, if I'm going to die, I don't want to die stinky. So it's one of those conversation points that the Lord and I, we just not talked about. Like, like I told you, you take nothing with you. You stuck the deodorant in there. I, we just don't talk about it. So I don't know. I may have to give an account for that when I stand before him. But, but it's kind of the, the taboo conversation point. But I left, I, I had no money, I had no plan, and I landed on the Africa, uh, the continent of Africa with literally nothing and nobody and no connections. So let me give you how that went. And I don't recommend that. I recommend praying until the Lord gives you clarity and following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So anyway, I get off the plane and each flight got less and less English speaking. And I only know English, and I'm not even that great at it. You know what I mean? It's like, that's about all I got is about uh, halfway through high school education of English, and I got nothing else. And I don't even know what the language is of the country that I'm landing in. I did zero homework. Again, don't recommend that. I didn't know what the geography was. I didn't know the population. I don't know anything. I'm getting off the plane. It's 2.30 in the morning after four flights and no English. And I'm I'm getting off the plane, and we get uh, out at 2.30 in the morning or whatever, and... They've brought up a, uh, like a, a little stairwell, you know, jet bridge or whatever, and we're stepping off down on the tarmac, and then there's this dirt path that we're walking. There's not even an airport. I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I done? That's when it hits me. You'd think I would have thought about it at least once in the last three years. Nope, just kind of buried wisdom. Here I am in the moment, and I am like, what have I done? And as I'm getting off the plane, I look up, and it's the kiss of God clear sky, bright moon, full moon. And I'm like, I look up and I go, if you're not real, I am a dead man. So I did my part. I'm here now. I need you to show up. So these people are walking uh, to this little light off in the distance. And apparently there's a hangar over there and people are getting their uh, luggage and stuff. I have no luggage to get. People are getting picked up from the airport. I have no one to pick me up. I am just straight up landing in Africa in the middle of the night at you know, 2.30 uh, at age you know, 22 years old. So uh, 
I, uh, I get, you know, through customs, which is fun when you don't speak any language that they know and they don't know English and they're not really excited that you don't know any language that would help them. But we did get through that. And, uh, and so now people are getting their, you know, uh, backpacks and their, their luggage and such. And I said, Lord, I am so tired because I don't sleep on planes. I've just never learned that gift. I don't, I don't have it. Maybe a little z would help, but it just doesn't work for me. And so I am, I've literally not slept in two days. And I'm so tired. I said, Lord, can we start this whole be a missionary in Africa thing tomorrow? I'm exhausted. I just want to go to sleep. And as soon as I say that, this guy walks up to me at that very moment, and he says, you need taxi? You need hotel? And I said, well, yeah. Yes, I do. And uh, he says, you come. I go, well, now wait a minute. I said, uh, in America, you have to pay for those things. Is that how that works here, too? You got to pay for taxis and hotels? And he goes, Yes. And I said, well, I don't have any money. No. No one comes to Africa and has no money. I said, well, I did. He goes, no, no, this is impossible. And I go, I go well, you asked. And uh, he, says, he says, you come and you don't have money. What will you do? I said, I have no good answers for this guy, clearly. And it's kind of the first time I'm even, you know, struggling through some of these things. Like, yeah, what was I planning to do? And uh, anyway, he talks to me for a few minutes, and then he's getting kind of more and more frustrated. And eventually he goes, he goes, you need taxi? I said, yes. You need hotel? Yes. You come. I said, I don't have any money. He says, no money, no problem. You come, you come. I go, okay. I said, Holy Spirit, what do I do? I heard the Holy Spirit say, go with him. So I go, cool, free ride. Okay. Now, he hires out a taxi driver, and we're now driving through the desert. You guys ever heard of the term from here to Timbuktu? Timbuktu is in the Mali, okay? It's the Sahara Desert. It's nowheresville. I haven't seen a building or a light in 45 minutes. I've just seen sand dunes, dunes after dunes. And I'm thinking, where is this hotel? Where are we going? Now, I'm going to skip forward into the story for a little point of revelation that you need at this point, but I don't learn about for some time down the road. What's really happening in this moment is I'm being abducted by a crime syndicate. That's what's really happening. This particular crime syndicate, what they've done is they've posted henchmen at all the major ports, airport, the train station, ferry station, bus station. They're looking for white American tourists to stick into a car and to take out to way stations out in the desert to decide their fate the next day where the crime boss is going to come and kind of interview last night's catch and figure out what to do with them. And there's nothing good on the list, by the way. So here I am, 22, fat and happy in the back seat, just doo -doo 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 -doo, driving through the desert. I have no idea what trouble I'm in. We're about 45 minutes into the journey. All of a sudden, the two guys in the front seat, they start arguing. Hur -hur -hur -hur. The dude who knew a few words of English, he turns around and he goes, the taxi driver, he said he want money now. And I go, dude, I told you, I have no money. And you were all, no problem, no problem. I said, I don't have any money. And he goes, hmm. And they go back to arguing, Hur -hur -hur -hur. taxi driver. Stops the car, gets out of the vehicle, opens my car door, get out of my car. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna die, I just got here. Like, I mean, obviously I didn't die, I'm here, right? I mean, you, you can see, right? Okay, okay, so everybody take a breath. Okay, okay, you're gonna be okay. I'm okay, you're okay. So I am freaking out of my mind because I don't know what's about to happen, but no good can come of this. And all of a sudden, I feel the Holy Spirit, like, come on me in a way that I am not at all accustomed to. 
I watched my hand fly past my face like it belonged to somebody else. And I'm watching it. Say, in the name of Jesus, you get back in that car, I'm not giving you one dime, we're going wherever we were going before. And as soon as I set it from my seat, it's like lightning, I didn't see it, but it's like lightning came off my finger and struck this guy's countenance. Because he went from angry, which if you're that taxi driver, I'd be angry too. The freeloader in the back seat isn't paying for a 45 minute drive out into the desert. This guy's countenance went from angry to, to, he closes the door, he gets in the car, he doesn't say one word and he starts driving again. And I'm in the back seat going, <laughs> you're real, I'm not gonna die, I am not gonna die. <coughs> and I'm thinking, if this is what being a missionary in Africa is like, I am in, man, let's do this thing. And so, you know, the, the scripture says that when you're brought before the Sanhedrin, you don't need to prepare ahead of time what you will say for the Holy Spirit will give you words that they will not be able to withstand. I watched that happen in real time. I, I experienced it, and I kind of realized what just happened. I was like, I am not in control. I, like, I just came here. God is going to do this. This is going to work because I'm in the plan of God. This is not reckless as it looks. It's obedience, which just happens to look really reckless at this point. And so here I am going, oh, my gosh, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm also still confused because it's 45 minutes, desert, blah, blah, blah. We drive another 15 minutes. We show up at a mud hut village. You guys seen them in National Geographic? They're real. I've been to one. They're real. It's not fake. It's not like Bigfoot or something. They, there are really actually mud hut villages out there in Africa. We show up at this mud hut village and there's like eight, six, eight mud hut uh, huts and, and there's nobody there and it's what, 3.15, you know, 3.30 in the morning? And a taxi driver drives off and the guy who was, you know, spoke just a few words of English that had hired out the taxi driver, he rolls out this straw mat that's like this thick. He rolls it out right there on the desert floor under this guy. He points at it and he says, hotel. And I go, you know what? I'll deal with you tomorrow. I'm just so tired, I don't even care. And so I get my backpack and I'm out, man. I am exhausted. I sleep like a rock. Well, the next morning I wake up and there's this big guy there and his name's Carder. I don't know who he is. I don't know what situation I'm in. All I know is this guy speaks perfect English. And it's the first conversation I can actually have. And I am excited, and it's a really good thing I didn't understand the trouble that I was in, because then I just got to be me, which is a little coy and goofy, okay? And so he goes, he goes, the taxi, or, uh, my friend, he says, you not pay the taxi driver last night. This is not good. You must pay him. I said, I don't have any money. He says, no, no one comes to Africa and has no money. And I said, you know, I've been getting that a lot lately. I go, but actually I did. Here I am and I have no money. He goes, no, no, this is not possible. I go, I have no money. He goes, well, what will you do? Why are you here? I said, I'm here to preach the gospel and get you saved. And he goes, no, I'm not giving myself to your Jesus. I'm big man in, in Mali. I'm Muslim. I'm not giving myself to your Jesus. I said, well, you asked why I'm here. He said, well, who do you know? Where will you stay? I said, well, I don't know anybody. I go, well, I know you now. And he goes, no, no, this is not possible. This guy is getting, he's like getting thrown off the track. He does not know what to do. Can you imagine the last 20, the last 100 conversations he's had? The one he had with the people last, yesterday? They're probably on the floor crying, groveling, like, oh, please don't kill me. I'm like, I am totally oblivious, and I have no idea what trouble I'm in. And so I'm just like, well, I came here to be a martyr, I guess. So if I die today, I die today. 
And so I am just straight with this guy. Like, I'm here to preach the gospel. I'm a missionary. I'm from America. I don't have any money. And he's even asking, like, well, you know, who are you with? And, what? and I said, nobody. I'm not, I have nothing and no one knows I'm here. And he's like, his countenance, this was another one of those crazy things. We're maybe 15 minutes into this conversation. And this guy's having a really difficult time interpreting this hot mess of a take from last night that he got, okay? And he goes, his, his countenance, I remember it shifted. He, he went from confused and angry to, I help you. I make you big man in Mali. I help you preach in all the places. You, you come live with me. And as soon as he said that, I said, Holy Spirit, what do I do? Now remember my options. Desert. Desert. Oh, look. More desert. So Holy Spirit, what do I do? And I heard the Holy Spirit say two things. This guy is bad news. I went, oh. Second thing. Go live with him. Sweet, sweet Jesus. We're going to have to talk about that at some point. Your ways are not my ways. We're going to need a long conversation about how you operate your kingdom because that seems really like a bad idea. But at the same time, I'm like, but it'd kind of be nice to not be left out here in the desert, okay? So we drive back into the city. It turns out this is a city of 3 million people. The capital city of Bamako, it's a really big, you know, area. Third world country, but highly populated, uh, you know, 3 million people. And so... Uh, we pull up to his area. It was a part of the suburbs on the far east side. And uh, we pull up, and he's got this, like, compound isn't a wrong word. It just, that sounds so scary and, like, from some crazy movie you saw, and it wasn't like that. It, it's like almost like an apartment, like a three-story apartment building, but maybe only as big as the sanctuary, okay? And uh, so it'd be three stories high, and there'd be apartments around the exterior, and then the, in the middle was a big courtyard, and that's where people, they would do communal cooking, and the kids would be playing games and that kind of thing. So this, he had, you know, control of this whole thing or whatever, and as we pull up to it, I get the weirdest looks. These people in this particular part of town, they have never seen white skin before in their life. Never. And so I am instantly popular. They're like, what is that guy? You know, they don't even know. The kids want to touch my hair and my skin. Tubob is the name. White man uh, is, uh, Tubob is the word that they use. All the kids are running around, Tubob, Tubob. And they're like, I've got, I called them the Tubob Patrol. They followed me around everywhere. They always want to know, where's the Tubob going? Just play with us, Tubob. And, and uh, anyway, so the kids are looking at me funny, but the funniest looks were actually the looks on the faces of the other henchmen. Because we pull up and I'm in the car being brought home. Like, did the master bring home a pet? Like what? We don't bring the white guys back to our house. We kill them in the desert or whatever we do. Like, don't bring them home. And they're all looking at me and we get out of the car and you can tell he is recognizing that they are looking at him, you know, kind of funny. I just want to just say it this way. When you look at the story of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, it doesn't make a lick of sense that those guys were buddies. I mean, Daniel is this pious prayer prophet. And Nebuchadnezzar is a demon-worshiping king. And yet, God allowed Daniel to curry favor with a ruler in order to accomplish the purposes of God in his generation. So it didn't make any sense that this crime lord likes himself some Brad Stroop, but he does. And I am being invited into his house. So we get out of the car. This guy puts his arm around me. And he says, this man is our guest. You help him. You supply for him. You help feed him. He will be staying with us now. And he's telling all these guys. And these guys are just looking at him like, whatever, dum-dum. Like, what is wrong with you? 
Like, what did you have a come to Jesus moment? Like, what? They do not know what to do with their boss because their boss just invited a white guy back to the house. Okay? So, here's the thing these guys, these henchmen, they've all got one thing in common that is just the most unbelievable detail. Remember, I told you all I know is English? Well, I'm in a country that the educated population speak French, but I don't know French. And most of the population isn't educated anyway, so most of them just speak whatever the native language is, which in that particular nation was Bambara. Now, if any of you are fluent in Bambara, please put your hand in the air. Right, that's what I thought. Me neither, right? Okay, I don't speak Bambara. I don't speak French. I got pig Latin down, but that wasn't serving me too well in West Africa, it turns out. So here's the thing. In order to work for this crime lord, because his specific business model is to get white English-speaking tourists into cars in order to take them out in the desert to do bad things and, you know, whatever, take their money or use them for extortion or, you know, whatever, you know, ransom, whatever they're going to do. In order to be able to do all that, all the guys that work for him have one thing in common. They all speak at least a little bit of English. The Lord has sovereignly put me in probably the only place in the entire country I can actually minister the gospel the sovereign work of God. I don't encourage you to go get a dumb story. I encourage you to follow Jesus. But I will tell you, Jesus knows what he's doing. And his leadership and his ways are wiser and higher. And he can do things that we just can't even imagine. So, these guys want to talk. Because they all want to learn English better. They know a little bit. But their English isn't strong because it's probably mostly limited to you need taxi, you know hotel, get in the car. You know, I mean, that's probably about all they got to say. Oh, yeah, and then they point at a mat and say hotel, right? I mean, okay. So they don't have a lot of English now, but they want to talk about English, and I'm willing to talk all day long about one thing, Jesus. And so all day long, these guys are trying to talk to me, and I am talking about Jesus. I am giving them the gospel. I am just laying things down. We start a little Bible study in the living room. These henchmen at a crime lord's house, I am sleeping on a mat like five feet away from this crime lord in his bedroom, okay? It's the most crazy, unbelievable situation, okay? And day after day, I'm ministering constantly, talking about Jesus. And one by one, these henchmen start giving their lives to Jesus. I'm going to give you one of the stories. <clears throat> this is the guy's uh, right-hand man. And it uh, turns out this guy is also uh, the crime lord's uh, cousin. And he's from uh, out of town. He was from the country of Senegal. And he's there serving <clears throat> his cousin. He's his right-hand man. I don't know what bad things he'd ever done. I never asked him. Okay, I'm just glad that we're buddies. And uh, I can remember this. <clears throat> I've been talking about Jesus every single day. And one day we're under this uh, tree. We're out on uh, doing this um, errand for the, for the crime lord guy, which I don't know is a crime lord. I just know he's bad. That's all I know. The Lord said he's bad news. I don't know what that means, and I can't hear any of their conversations to interpret what's happening. I just kind of get this feeling I'm in a bad place, but God has me here on purpose. So anyway, we're out doing an errand one day, and, uh, and this guy... Uh, he looks at me. Oh, I, I got to give you one detail. So this dude's name was like 72 letters long and was like mostly consonants, and I don't know where the vowels were. I couldn't say the dude's name for the life of me. I mean, it was really long and hard to say, and I was like, dude, I do not know how to say your name. 
And I said, but every time he would speak his native language, this dude knew seven or eight different languages. And one of them was his native language back from where he was from in Senegal, which the native language of Senegal is Wolof. Now, if you ever hear Wolof spoken and you're some dude from Texas, it sounds like this. Sounds like a bunch of hums. Okay? I call this dude Hum Hum. And he thought it was hilarious. So I don't know how to say his name. I said, dude, I'm just going to call you Hum Hum. And he goes, oh, okay, okay. So now I don't know what show he saw on TV or what American song he heard. Maybe, you know, he's like saw somebody talking to his friends. was like, come on, guys. I don't know. I just know this dude called me my guys. My guys with an S. So it's my guys and hum hum. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to like it, but that's just the way it is, okay? My guys and hum hum, and we were a pair, man. And so we're out on this errand, and this is like day four or something, day three or four. And uh, we're on this errand, and he looks at me, and we're under this tree. I just remember it so vividly. He looks at me, he goes, he goes, my guys, I has the Jesus now. He's warm. And I go, hum hum? Are you telling me you gave your life to Jesus? Yes, my guys, this is what I says. I go, oh my gosh. And I'm like, we've got a live one. We've got our first convert to Jesus in Africa. You know, and I'm like, this is gonna work, man. And so he tells me, you know, how it happened and all this stuff. And we, I wind up getting the dude a Bible in French because that we had access, you know, we could get that kind of material in French. And so I got him a Bible in French and I was like, this is so cool. So now we start going out and we're doing street evangelism one-on-one with my new disciple, Hum Hum, okay? And he's got his Bible in French. I've got mine in English. And we'd stop people on the streets and we'd start talking to them. And they kind of want to talk to me because they're like, why is there a white person here? What, why are you here? And so then they would be willing to stop and talk. And, and so Hum Hum, as the interpreter, he'd you know, open his Bible and he'd, he would read it in French, have to translate it into Bambara. But it started off with me talking in English. I'm like, man, Lord, only you are going to get this job done. And so... So anyway, we're doing this for a couple days. So now this is the craziest thing. We're like, I don't know, a couple days later. And he is reading his Bible. Every time I see him, he is in the Word. Okay, this dude is reading, he is devouring the Bible in the crime lord's house, okay? And two more dudes give their lives to Jesus too that are also in this whole swirl that are staying in this place. And we're doing a Bible study every day in the living room and we're studying the word and it's here in this crime lord's house. And I, I am gaining favor with these guys and I am losing favor with the crime lord. Can you catch? So it's a couple days in after Hum Hum gives his life to Jesus. And we've been going around doing street ministry. And he comes over, I'm walking past him. And he's sitting there and, and I walk past him and he goes, oh, Hey, Paul. And I go, huh? What are you talking about? He says, yeah, you is Paul. I is Timothy. Hum, hum. What are you saying right now? You understand the apostolic ministry of Paul and Timothy? I'm like, oh my gosh, this dude has been reading the word and he gets it. He straight gets it. God sent a missionary from a faraway land brings the young dude to Jesus and is discipling him and is teaching him how to do. I'm like, this is nuts. This guy was brilliant, okay? Well, it's maybe day seven or eight, okay, uh, at this point. I mean, I've just, I don't know anybody on the continent, but now I've got all these new friends, okay? And so 
uh, every day I would wander just a little bit further away from the compound, and I'm just trying to figure out the lay of the land. What are the roads? How do you, what, how do you say water? I mean, I'm just trying to figure little things out, you know, kind of on my own every day. And, um, and so one day I'm a couple blocks away or whatever from uh, the crime lord's house, and, and these two people come up to me and they say, something, something, Jesu Christ. I was like, that has got to be my Jesus. And I look at him, and I go, you guys are Christians? And with such astonishment, their eyes get really big. In perfect English, they say, you know English? And I said, I will hug you right now. And I don't care who these people are. I give them a big hug right there on the street. Because now I know they're Christians and they're English speaking. I'm like, you are my new best friends. And so remember I told you that the country is 99.9% Muslim? These two are pastors of a Pentecostal church two blocks away. Two blocks away from where I land, there's a thriving little Pentecostal church. These pastors were out evangelizing. They saw me and thought I was an albino and they were witnessing to me. They were telling me about Jesus. Because it made way more sense that I was an albino than it was that I was a white guy in this part of town. It just didn't make any sense. And so, so uh, they, go, they go, well, you know, what are you doing? I go, I go who are you? And they go, Oh, uh, I said, who are you? And, and they said, well, we're pastors of this church. And I go, no way. And I am so excited because now I've met believers in the land, you know, and I'm just so excited. And, uh, and they, said, uh, they said, well, who are you? And I go, I'm American missionary. And their eyes get really big. And they say, this is not possible. I go, what do you mean? They said, we've been praying for years that the Lord would send us a white American missionary to do outdoor preaching. Because of the color of your skin, you can draw a crowd anywhere. I said, yeah, you know, I've kind of seen that. And, and they go, and, and when I left to go over there, I felt like the Lord said, you're going to do outdoor preaching. That's like going to be your ministry. You're going to do outdoor preaching. And so, so I go, uh, they, said, they said, this is crazy. We've been praying this. They said, we have got a sound system and a generator. Can you start tomorrow night? I said, yes, I can. I was like, that much I can do. Guys, I'm at day like seven. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a moron, but I'm an obedient moron. And here now we've got believers that are, are in this crime lord's house. We're doing a Bible study. I've met these pastors and we're gonna start doing outdoor preaching. We start the next night. They go, they go, okay. They go, well, they're really confused. They said, there aren't any hotels around here. Where are you staying? I said, well, I'm staying with this guy, Cardair. And they go, this man is very bad. It's amazing that you are not dead. He kills white people. And I was like, well, you know, I knew he was bad. Perhaps you can help me get out of there. That seems like maybe that would be fitting. And they're like, we will help you immediately. We can't believe this. And they're they're like, this is is crazy. And they said, said, well, um," I said, we've been praying for years for an inroad into the crime lord's house. Can you just imagine if you knew that there was like a cartel that was like right down the street from you here at this church? Wouldn't you guys be praying, oh God, bring salvation and a person to peace? I mean, wouldn't you be praying those kinds of things? Well, they've been doing that. And I go, oh, oh, I got good news. And they look at me kind of funny. I go, do you know so-and-so? And they're like, yes. And so-and-so, yes. And, and this guy, yes. And they go, yes. And I said, they're brothers in the Lord. I, they all gave their lives to Jesus. I'm doing a Bible study with them in the living room. I'll bring them to church Sunday. And they go, oh my goodness, they can't believe it. Now, let me just tell you, the funniest day in this little Pentecostal church's history 
is the day a white guy and three henchmen are the guest speakers and come sit on the front row of the church Sunday morning and just walk in. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? That The pastor's got his arms around us. He's having us tell our stories and it's getting translated into a hundred languages. I mean, not a hundred, but three. And, and I'm, I'm like, it was crazy. I, I'm just like, this is the wildest ride of my life. Somebody in their church got me an opportunity. I was preaching on the radio in the capital city just a short time later. I mean, there's crazy things happening. We start doing these nightly preaching meetings, and everywhere we go, we kind of set up the sound system, and they start doing worship, and people start to gather around a little bit, and they say, hey, uh, uh, you know, our, our friend from America is here, and he wants to speak to you. And, and then people kind of gather, and I don't mean thousands, but like, a room like this size would be a small crowd, maybe a hundred, maybe two hundred, you know, a couple of times. And I'm preaching the gospel and we're praying for people to get healed. And there's wild things happening. And the witch doctor's son got healed one night. I mean, it, the craziest stuff I could imagine. And every night I go, I am not doing anything. I, I just showed up. I mean, he just needs our obedience. I'm not, I couldn't have made this stuff happen if I had 10 years to plan it. But the Holy Spirit, see, there's stuff he wants to do in your life. And I'll just be honest, we have this tendency to go, nah, I don't really want to do that. It's beneath me. Or that's too hard. Or that's too scary. And honestly, any argument we have with the Lord, regardless of our reason that we say no, it's the same. It's the same. I'm scared, I'm inadequate, I'm too old, I'm too young, I don't like it. It's all arguing with God, and it's silly. Like, he's smarter than you. <laughs> he's a lot smarter than you. His plans are higher. His ways are higher. His plans are better. I just want to encourage you with this. Not go get a crazy story. Go get obedient. Follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. There's things he wants to do in your life that you can't even imagine what will happen if you walk through that door. The doors that he's leading. And one of the things that's a bit of a mystery to me that, if I can be honest, I don't like about God, there are some things that I'm like kind of on the fence about still, you know. I mean, I'm saying yes, but I don't have to love it. He'll let you miss out on stuff. If you say no, or we like to make it, we like to kind of Christianize it a little bit and like, well, I didn't say yes. It's like, no, you said no to God. He told you to have that conversation. He was giving you that stirring. I want you to start this, stop this, go there, don't do this. And we're like, ah, I can't believe it. He'll actually let us miss out. But he will. I mean, there's crazy things. So I'm, I'm three months in. I get uh, the pastor and his wife had very quickly moved me out of the crime lord's house and I got my own apartment hum hum moved in with me he was my roommate because hum hum has lost all favor with his uh cousin and his cousin is not happy that he won't go do his bidding and he's talking about Jesus and all this stuff and so so hum hum is living with me and me and hum hum we're like thick I mean we're together all day and we're doing ministry it's like three months in and when I left I, I prayed about this for three years to go right when I left I sold everything I had I kissed my mom goodbye, goodbye, like the never going to see you again, goodbye, kind of hug and kiss. I am, I am believing that I am going to go and be a lifetime missionary in Africa or die a martyr, and that that's just how it's going to be. I'm three months in, 
I've seen the craziest stuff happen. Like Acts 29 kind of stuff. There's only 28 chapters in Acts. And so I'm like, Lord, this is crazy. And every day I'm like thanking him. And, and one day I just get this little nudge. It was little. It's time to come home. No, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You can't rebuke Jesus in the name of Jesus. It just doesn't work. I just, that's not how that works. That's not how it works. And so I'm like, I can't fathom that that could be God's plan. And I'll just tell you this too. There are times where the Lord asks us to do stuff we don't want to do. Things that we can't make sense of. Yeah, but Lord, three years of prayer, and it's all work. Everything. I mean, Lord, we just, we just say yes. We follow the Lamb wherever He goes, whether we like the place He's going or don't. Well, I get this little nudge, but it's so light, I can't make a massive life change with one little nudge. And that's not wisdom. Like, don't, if it's a major decision about your life, pray about it. But I knew well enough to do that. So I was like, Lord, I mean, my answer is yes. I just can't fathom how this could be what you're saying. I, I just, it doesn't make any sense. If this is you, please help me. <laughs> please help me explain it or say it again or something. And I said, Lord, you don't have to do it this way, but I would know that I know that I know forever if you would do this for me. Would you give somebody in America a dream about me coming home early from Africa? Because everybody thinks I'm a lifer. And would you let everything in the dream, if I've got the timing right, I'm like supposed to get on a plane next week, come home. If I'm supposed to come home like next week, dream about me coming home early and let everything in the dream be the color red. I said, Lord, if I've got the timing wrong, I'm supposed to come home, but it's not next week. It's maybe three months, six months, a year. I need to kind of start thinking about it, but I don't need to be urgent about it. Would you give somebody in America a dream about me coming home early and let everything in the dream be the color blue? And I journal it in my journal. And I wasn't putting God in an arm bar. This wasn't me giving him an ultimatum. This was, if you look at the passage, many of you guys know, you know, the Judges 6 passage of Gideon and the fleece. Gideon doesn't say, God, if you don't do this, I won't obey you. He says, help, please help me, help me. And so we don't ever want to put God in a position where it's like, if you don't do this, I'm not going to follow you. That's nonsense. But you can ask God for help. And so I said, Lord, speak any way you want, but if you'll do it this way, I'll like for sure know. So it's a week later, and if I can be honest, for a week, I don't really hear anything else about it from the Lord. It's just totally silent. I'm like, I don't know what that was. I go and I check my email. There's this little internet cafe, and I've, I've heard that it's this case all over Africa, and I pray that, you know, the timing of this was like around 2003. I pray that they've gotten a significant upgrade in their infrastructure related to their internet connectivity because at the time, the fastest way to die in Africa wasn't martyrdom. It wasn't malaria. It was the Wi-Fi connection of dial-up internet. Oh, my gosh. It was so bad. Connecting, dropped call. I mean, I don't know how many times I was in the middle of an email. I had just written like a 30-minute email back to all my friends home, and the call drops. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Okay, so I go and check my email. And I get this email from one of my old students during that season of time, those three years that I was praying every day. I was doing ministry. I was doing youth ministry uh, in the Dallas area. And uh, one of my old youth uh, students had reached out, and she said, Hey, Brad, I had a dream. She said, I know some people's dreams mean something. Mine never do. But I thought I'd tell you the dream. It was just a really short dream about you coming home from Africa early. And everything in the dream was the color red. 
the walls were red, your shirt was red, your face was red, everything was red, does that mean something? Only that God listens to man. Does that mean something? Oh my gosh. I can't believe this. Also, dang it. Dang it. <laughs> because now I'm supposed to come home. And I've got no out. <laughs> like, well, I didn't know it was you. Oh, I know it's you. I know good and well that it's God. And I am sitting in this little internet cafe. And I'm having a flood of emotions. I can't believe you listened to my prayer. You are so real. It's the, that's the most specific prayer I could have prayed. <laughs> it's bizarre. And he did it. Because he's real. I love telling my kids these stories so they'll grow up believing God is real. And then they'll have to choose if they serve him or not. But I don't want them to have to choose if he's real or not. He's real. He's real. And I'm like, I'm supposed to come home like next week. Why? What in the world? And, and if I can be honest, in that moment, and in the days that followed, I was just like very confused. I want you to think about this for a second. Get, get a little bit of the context. I'm 22, 23. I'm in the prime of my life. I've shown the Lord I am ridiculous. I'll do whatever he says. I'm in the 1040 window. I am seeing henchmen give their lives to Jesus at a crime was house, and I'm discipling them to then make them disciples to go and do the ministry. The wildest things I could possibly imagine are happening. Why would you call that guy off the mission field? I just, in my mind, I'm like, I, I, this doesn't make sense to me. Here's the only thing I could reconcile. Whatever my next assignment is, it somehow must be more important than my current one. That's the only thing I could rectify. So I, you know, made plans. I came home. I was probably home within 10 days. It might have been a week. And the Lord turned the volume all the way down. You know, sometimes we take our steps of obedience to the Lord rightly, but we expect that that means that it's all just going to be like peaches and roses and it's going to be easy. And the Lord doesn't promise us that. Sometimes our moments of obedience get tested, really trying. I was just in the mission field. If I didn't hear God speak on the daily, there were times I could have died. But he's like leading me and helping me. And here I am back home because he told me to. He's not talking at all. Oh. Listen, sometimes in our walk with God, on purpose, he's not talking. On purpose. He's playing hide and go seek like the long game. Okay? And your job's just to keep seeking. Because you know what the word says? You will, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. That's just the word. So it's a year and a half, which as a 20-year-old, that felt like an eternity. 18 months of like, what am I doing? You know, I got a job because I got to pay for stuff. I started a Bible study in my living room. I'm discipling some people. I'm reading the word. I'm, I'm doing what you would do. I'm just trying to do the best that I can with what I know. But I am just clear. I have no clarity at all about what I'm supposed to be doing in life. And I feel aimless. I feel ashamed. So many of my friends are like, weren't you supposed to like go die a missionary or something? 
Yeah, yeah, I know. I don't. But what are you doing back home? Not real sure. Were you backslidden? No, not exactly. And so it's a year and a half. And one day I'm sitting on my couch. I'm reading a book on my day off. And I have the most powerful encounter I've ever had with the Lord. I hear him speak the clearest I've ever heard him speak. Sitting on the couch, all of a sudden the presence of the Lord gets thick in the room. I find myself on the floor trying to get under the carpet. I'm like really feeling the presence of God. And I hear the Holy Spirit say these words. Start a daily prayer meeting tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. and don't stop until I come back. (laughs) Me? I'm, I'm a missionary. I think you got the wrong house. I think the prayer guy's next door. Over there. <clears throat> and I just hear it reverberate in my being again. Start a daily prayer meeting tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. and don't stop until I come back. Daily. Oh, that's like every day. That sounds like prison. Start a daily prayer meeting tomorrow morning. At 5 a.m.? Are you even awake at 5 a.m.? Let's get real, God. Start a daily prayer. I'm like, this is crazy. Until you come back. Like, come back, come back? Like, come back to the planet? Is that what we're, are we talking about that comeback? I don't even, I don't even know what to do with any of this. And I just find myself saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And maybe it's only so I can get up off the floor. But I'm saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'll do it. And so, man, about 30 minutes goes by before I can physically get up off the ground. And I sit there on the couch, bewildered. And I'm like, I just got my life assignment, and I hate it. <laughs> I heard God. I've been praying to hear God for 18 months, and I heard him. And I really don't like what he had to say. I'm thinking, I'll die a missionary. I don't want to die daily at death in prayer meetings. Like, I don't want to get up at 4 something in the morning and do 5 a.m. prayer meetings seven days a week until whatever the time frame is. So he comes back or whatever. I don't even know what to do with that. And I'm like, this is, this is torture. And I've changed my tune now, 18 years in. But, you know, I'm thinking, this is crazy. Well, it's like 5 o'clock at this point in the evening. And the Lord said, start tomorrow. No 501c3 no ministry board, you know, no website, no logo, no preparation, just start the thing. And I'll just say this, the easiest ministry to start tomorrow is prayer meetings. It is the easiest thing to do with your life tomorrow with zero lead up time, you just start praying. And so I made some phone calls and I sent out some emails, this is before text messages to date myself a little bit. And uh, I sent out some emails and phone calls. The phone calls more or less went like this. Hey, God spoke to me. You know, I've been trying to figure out what God was doing. Yeah, cool. What do you say? Well, my life's over. Would your life be over too? Would you come to my, prayer, my little prayer meeting every day forever or whatever? Well, how long are we doing this? Well, it's going to be a while, I think. Uh, uh, well, what are we going to pray about? I'm not real sure. We'll figure that out. Sure, I'll come. The next morning at 445, there were 11 rowdy 20-year-olds banging on the door, ready. And we started our first prayer meeting September 13th, 2005. And we have never, not one day, ever missed a day of 5 a.m. prayer meetings in 18 plus years. A little bit of time went on and we added a second prayer meeting a day at night. We've never missed that prayer meeting. Then we added a third and a fourth and a fifth. In 18 years, we have never missed a prayer meeting. We've been late like five times. 
and we corporately repented to the Lord and to each other because we felt the Lord give us this sovereign commission. See, you got to follow the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. The things that he wants to do in this house are probably different than the things he wants to do at the ministry down the street, the ministry over there in our ministry. But we got clear marching orders. We were to keep those prayer meetings sacred. And so we started that thing 18 years ago in my living room. And now by God's grace, we're at whatever, 18 plus years in, we are 22 hours a day, seven days a week with live worship, and we've never missed a prayer meeting. The Lord started a fire. He dropped the fire like what he did when he started the tabernacle of Moses. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but the, the fire that started there, it wasn't by humans. It was God sent lightning or it just says fire fell from heaven on the sacrifice. It was then the job of the priest to keep it going. And since 2005, we've been keeping it going. And so it's allowed us to meet a lot of fun people like Andrew over the years and now Robert more recently. And it's allowed us to connect with different houses of prayer. And, and because we've been doing it for 18 years, we've learned a few things along the way. And my hope in this uh, conference, we're going to take a break here in just a moment. My hope in this conference is to empower you and to give you vision for the assignment that the Lord has for you here at Antioch in Galveston. So here's what we're